You're listening to Radio BCC, and this is the Six O'Clock Swill. Yes, the six o'clock swill, the uh, familiar tone of Country Road Harmonica introducing Tim Blair, Simon Collins and me, Nick Cater, with our authoritative and, we hope, perhaps a little amusing review of the week. Tim's there on the central coast of New South Wales. Simon, I believe, is there at home in Sydney on the North Shore. And I'm stuck in a hire car, a Toyota Camry hybrid, no less, in the main street in Wangaratta. I might explain that in a minute. Are you on the run, Nick? Yes. Are you are you fleeing oppression? <laughs> it feels like that. I've just been in Victoria this week, guys. I had to go down for an event in Melbourne. I just didn't want to fly. So uh, we got across the border without too much incident. It was a bit like Checkpoint Charlie coming across from Albury to Wodonga, but we, we got in. I'm just hopeful. We Hopefully we can get out after this uh, show. We're here in... Uh, Oh, about an hour for the border, I suppose. But there's that real wartime feeling, I tell you. It's weird what's going on down here, guys. I mean, I just... The way the Victorian government has overreacted to this, I think deliberately, it seems to me, as a means of a power grab. How how does it look look like to you? Well, mate, the last time I was in Victoria was, a, you know, there was this tiny window several months ago. And uh, I was surprised that even in regional Victoria, because I wasn't allowed to go to Melbourne, Melbourne was still... East Berlin at the time. Uh, even in regional Victoria, Dick, it was still there was a lot of anxiety about masks and panic. And, and if you if you walked into a shop with a mask, people would run at you and give you these pieces of holy fabric. Uh, has it changed at all, Nick? Have people normalised at all? Well, it's a funny thing today. Today, just out of the blue, nothing at all to do, I imagine, with the fact that Daniel Andrews is in a spot of political bother over trying to get his emergency power through. Suddenly. Everything is opened up. No masks required. Unlimited people in your home. No number restrictions in bars. So yesterday, you know, all our lives were in peril unless you 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 wore a mask everywhere you went, including outdoors, and, and you had to click on those wretched QR codes uh, and, uh, and show your double vax certificate, etc. And today, nobody cares. I mean, what's, what's gone wrong? Has the coronavirus suddenly declared a truce? I don't know. Simon? No, I think it's, I, I think it's uh, actually, it's quite a telling uh, development in this narrative, in this, in this never-ending story, is that, uh, you know, it's part and parcel uh, of every uh, totalitarian dictatorship that... Um, you constantly make decisions that no have no make no apparent sense that do not that are not non sequiturs to what you did before because that keeps everybody mm. guessing uncertain unsure so right now they're going oh thank you thank you dan oh thank you uh, but they, who knows it could it could go the other way very quickly and that's what that's that's part of the um, the apparatus of a dictatorship is that you Yes, feels like that. Make sure nothing seems logical. Nothing seems nothing logical about Victoria right now. That's for sure, Tim. Mate, I'm just uh, I'll just explain something to the listeners. When we put together this magnificent bit of audio for all of you, we have a, a, a setup where we can look at each other, so we can uh, give each other visual clues about what we're going to say next. And at the moment, I'm looking at Nick in a car in Victoria, and he has a red dot on his head, which is. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say. I was gonna say he had the muzzle of a revolver pressed to his. T- no, it looks very much like he's got a laser target on him, and I, I hope it isn't the case. I hope it's just a, a feature of the uh, of the video as we record this. Look, guys, don't joke. It's been a very torrid week for me, right? That's why we're joking. <laughs> I've been targeted. I've been targeted by the Socialist Party on the campus at the University of Melbourne. What? All all five of them. I think this is a very, very appropriate moment, Nick, for you to talk about why you were in Melbourne, what you were doing there, also to talk about the threats that you got and give us some background because we're joking about it, but you're actually not out of that state yet. You're not out of there yet. I have to say, joking about it, it's actually been quite an emotional occasion for me because for the last seven years in my day job at the Robert Menzies 
at the um, uh, Menzies Research Centre, I've been trying to get a museum and library for Robert Menzies in the heart of the Melbourne University, University of Melbourne campus. And you guys, and you'd know, Tim, you're going to a town like, say, Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, home of Gerald Ford, who was president for about six weeks, I don't know, six minutes, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and he's got a presidential library yeah. a, a, about three times bigger than Canberra. And, and you go, that's the way they do things over there. And I thought, well, we need that here. And then I discovered that the Labour Party had sneaked through a grant to do one for Julia for Julia Gillard had done one for Gough Whitlam the great Gough Whitlam at the University of Western City it looked fine okay I think we should celebrate all our prime ministers but why wasn't there one for Robert Menzies it's absurd and and uh, hmm. Grover Norquist you probably know a great Republican yep. uh, set about a campaign yep. to name things after Ronald Reagan he was yes. sick he was sick of going everywhere he went yes. everything was named after either John F Kennedy or, or Martin Luther King Jr. Right, every yes. every building, every street, every airport. He said, "I've had enough of this." By, by the way, by the way, uh, this will be of no help at all to our listeners who aren't interested in this kind of thing whatsoever. But if you ever find yourself in an American city and you feel the need for narcotics, just go to Martin Luther King Boulevard. Every city has one, and for some reason, you can always score there. Don't ask me how I know, I've just heard it. That's a handy traveller's tip, Tim. Round off the story very quickly. It's taken seven years to get a deal signed with the University of Melbourne to establish the Robert Menzies Institute, which would be a a marvellous centre all about Robert Menzies' life. The the statue's coming. What, the one from Japarit? (laughs) Yes, yes. Japarit's a great town. Let's hope it's on a let's hope it's on a hinge so it's easy to push over and then go back up again. <laughs> Very late in the procedure, the uh, the socialist uh, students on campus just suddenly, maybe they knew we were coming all along, but they've only just worked out that Robert Menzies was a liberal because their the history is so badly taught. And so I was greeted with this sign, a big picture of me. Look who's coming to campus to open the Robert Menzies Institute. Conservative commentator Nick Cater. Join us in giving him the welcome he deserves. They set up a little protest. And then they describe my crimes. And I think you guys are implicated here. Oh, good. Nick Cage was a conservative columnist with the Australian, Rupert Murdoch. Okay, well, that's that's a felony. An executive director of the liberal, uh, liberal think tank behind the Menzies Institute. He hosts a podcast which spews vile culture war nonsense including the supposed lack of attention to Western civilization. Well, we've got a... That's a good review. That's excellent. We should, uh, we should highlight that. I think we'll post that. We spew vile culture war nonsense. That's, you, you can't buy reviews like that. And I've bought a few. Well, I actually did. <laughs> I just went behind your back there, Nick. And, uh, yeah. it, it didn't cost that much. Was it? It was, I think it was a lobster that paid that one off. Just, just $20. I saw that and it said... At the end of it, it ends with, join us in giving him the welcome he deserves. So I was thinking, is now did they turn out in the numbers that, for example, protested against uh, uh, vaccination, COVID vaccination, that, that 70, 80,000 people in Melbourne, that kind of number, was it that kind of numbers? No, it, mate, I, I saw it on the news. It was like, Simon, it was like the Vietnam moratorium marches. It was, uh, <laughs> the streets were packed. And, uh, you know, I was going, where are the Victorian police? I've seen them on the YouTube videos. You know, if you want anybody to hurl <laughs> an innocent, unarmed protester to the ground, smash their head on the floor in record creek time, you'd call the Victorian police, right? Absolutely. But Absolutely. no, no, they wouldn't come near this. <laughs> well, well, who'd have thunk it? Anyway, that's my Victorian experience and uh, my personal... Uh, my week, but behind this is a serious story of, of Dan Andrews, the the president, soon to be president for life. Dan Andrews used to be just the premier, um, who's just basically abolishing parliament or, or making it completely irrelevant. He becomes subservient, he, uh, he rises above parliament. He can do whatever he wants by edict. I know, I know it's probably an easier way to govern a state, but I don't think it's very tidy. We quite like democracies, don't we? Yeah, they're all right. Um... And then there's Victoria. It's a, it's a fascinating little social experiment he's running down there, isn't he? Um, with his, uh, you know, the occasional bit of funding here and there from our Chinese friends. Anyway, fingers crossed I'll be out of here just a few minutes after we finish this show. That issue about um, we question his 
his leadership qualities. There's a piece in The Australian Today by Amanda Vanstone about the, the whole thing about are we, are we in a leadership crisis? I mean, we know, for example, that there's a kind of leadership crisis in lots of Western democracies. Certainly there is in the US at the moment where, you know, for obvious reasons, people are questioning whether Biden has got what it takes to get to the next election. And there's been uh, massive, massive doubt about the, the, the abilities of his, of his uh, number two and who would step in. And there's a thing called the McKinnon Political Leadership Prize is going to be awarded to somebody. Who does the panel think exhibits in Australia, exhibits leadership qualities that we would get behind as a nation going forward post-COVID? Tim Blair, Tim Blair would be my number one choice. He'd be my nomination, Tim Blair. <laughs> well, obviously, obviously. Uh, and I'd, I'd immediately stand down from the role because I think our problem is too much leadership or at least too much authority held by too many people. You'd stand down the same, the same reason that George Washington apparently didn't want the first gig. He, he, he was too modest. He, he said, no, this is not for me. It was forced upon him. Greatness was forced upon him. Tim, that could be you. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, but seriously... Uh, in terms of a crisis of leadership, yes, yes, there's a terrible crisis. We've got too much, too much damn leadership. Too much bad leadership. I mean, we, we can criticise, yeah. we can criticise. It's easy for us to sit here thousands of miles across the Pacific and, and, and wag our fingers at the United States for enacting somebody like Joe Biden. But there were people in Victoria who sat down and put a cross next to Dan Andrews. Look, the whole point about it is the three of us say there is a crisis of leadership in Australia, particularly, you know, maybe at, at federal level. But the truth is there are an awful lot of people in Australia, maybe an electorally decisive number of people in Australia, who think we have got, they have got great leadership at state level. You know, they think that uh, McGowan's great. They think that Palaszczuk's great. They think that, they think that Dan is wonderful. So they have no, they, they don't have a crisis of leadership. The only crisis they've got is the federal, at the federal level, which I think we all do because... My, my crisis is, is, is personally is that why was federal leadership so emasculated during this appalling thing that we've been through over the last year and a half? Well, what, I'll give you one reason. 1901 Federation, you know, they decided to set up a system well, where... Well, it's actually true, Simon. I mean, if you, the Constitution gives no powers over health to the federal government. So... The whole thing is is just a, a, a jumble, a shambles. And, and normally that's a good thing, right? Because you don't want any one government getting too much power over any one thing. But when it comes to something like this, you don't want the kind of clown show that we've witnessed for the last 18 months, do you? You just want somebody to take some a national leadership position. And if we do, if we do look to the US uh, for leadership on, on, on Republican-type issues, uh, or at least, at least on issues that relate to countries that are broken up into states with... With, with devolved governance, you'd say the one thing that characterises the US Constitution is the number of bloody amendments it's had. The whole point about constitutions, they shouldn't be completely immunised against change and adaptation. People don't even say the Constitution, they say they refer to the certain, such and such an amendment in America. Uh, and that's a great thing. It means that a constitution should be organic. It should be organic. It should evolve. We're in very deep constitutional law matters here. I think we should move on to crime news. Crime news, Tim. Yes, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial continues. As we speak, uh, the jury has been in its um, trying to decide the guilt or otherwise of this young gentleman. He's 18 now. He was 17 when he killed two people and shot another in Fairly obvious self-defence. This was during one of the Black Lives Matter uprisings in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kyle Rittenhouse has family in that city. He comes from a little further out, about 20 miles away. And he uh, drove there on the night of this horrific riot, armed with a, a rifle. And when he was attacked, he fought back. All of this is supported by video. He was, uh, at one stage, kicked in the head... Uh, someone advanced on him with a skateboard, which they used as a as a, an improvised kind of baseball bat to whack him about. And young Kyle Rittenhouse fought back. He's charged, obviously, now with two counts of murder. Now, the jury has been leaking a little bit during their deliberations. There were a couple of holdouts. Otherwise, everyone was going for an acquittal, according to what we're hearing from within the jury room, via a couple of very good sources online. It turns out that the holdouts 
are very, very concerned about what might happen in Kenosha, Wisconsin, if a not guilty verdict is read out. They already rioted in 2020. They may well do so again. By the way, um, you'll notice online a lot of people are condemning Kyle Rittenhouse for being a white supremacist. And they say it's a terrible thing. And if you have any black employees, no matter what the verdict, they'll be in such distress after the verdict that you've got to give them the day off if they request it. All the people he shot were white, for the love of God. The first question you've got to ask is, right, how many crime stories in America in any given day and, and, and how many, you know, sadly murder stories? I mean, I'm not saying this is murder. I mean, that's what the jury is to decide. But Self-defence, self obviously. I mean, clearly all the evidence points to that. This guy should not have been prosecuted. Yes. Uh, he's got a perfect... It was clearly self-defence from yes. all the evidence. Yep. So, but why does this one case of all get highlighted, yep. get wall-to-wall -wall coverage, live broadcast of this court case across the United States? Everybody's glued to it because it fits their narrative, and their narrative yep. is evil white people, oppressive white yep. supremacists, yep. out to oppress and shoot blacks whenever they get the opportunity. Mm. Ah, but these guys aren't blacks, but. Oh, wait a minute. They were yeah. on the side of black. Well, one of them was a pedophile. Yeah. Another one was a wife basher. You know, he basically he cleaned up the joint. Uh, not that those are issues in terms of, uh, of the murders, but by God. Also, guys, in the early reporting in the mainstream media, they made a point of not mentioning the fact that the, that the guy he shot was, was white because there was a clear hope, collective hope, that people would assume that he was black. It was a long way into the long way into the story before it transpired yeah. that the guy was actually white yeah. and that he'd been threatening and violent. Oh, a lot of people weren't aware that the victims were white. Well, they're not victims. A lot of people weren't aware until the trial actually began and had run for some time that A, the people who were shot were white and B, that it wasn't this Rittenhouse kid pursuing them before the sh shooting happened. He was being pursued. People were not alert to this. Something really, really spooky happened as well uh, during the jury deliberations. For some reason, every day yeah. when the deliberations end without a conclusion, the jury go home. They're not being sequestered. They, 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 they're put on a particular bus and they're driven to their various houses. Now, yesterday, a, um, a car pursued that, that bus full of jurors. And it, um, it, it, in its... In its um, eagerness to pursue the jurors bus ran a red light and police intervened and it turns out that the driver was um a reporter or a freelancer who was seconded to one of the tv networks and he'd been instructed to follow the bus so he could find out where the people lived who were in the jury find out the details of their car registration so they could follow it up later on they claim this is a standard practice in all major trials oh. So that after the case, you can follow up by talking to the jurors about their decisions. Now, no. I've followed a lot of cases no, in the US, obviously also it's a lot absurd. here and in, in the UK. I've never known of tailing jurors during during deliberations to, to, to get personal, to get residential details so you can follow them up later. That sounds I agree. like a crock to me. And the judge has thrown that network out of the court. They can't cover it anymore. The other thing, Tim, you, you'll elaborate on this, but the one guy, one of the people who was shot at by Rittenhouse, mm. who survived yep. and is able then to give evidence, yeah. has admitted, yes, I had a gun. Yes, I was yep. threatening him with the gun. I'd gone out to shoot him. Yeah, the prosecution didn't do a great job. Why, 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 just why can't the American justice system just... You know, just 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 come to its senses and and end this clown show in fifteen minutes by ruling that he's not guilty because it's so massively political. As an advertising man, I've got a two-word answer to that, Nick. It's market forces, market forces. Market. Yeah. You've just yeah. used twenty of them. That's right. But before we get off the issue, I just want to say, you could call it covering my ass. I think anybody who gets in his car at night with a rifle drives to an area of discontent and problem who's not qualified is an idiot well what have you got to be qualified what have you what, what's qualified mean he's qualified he's a he's a citizen he's allowed to carry the gun the gun's perfectly legal he's not a he's not a law enforcement officer well, where, yeah, but the law enforcement officers 
Law enforcement officers are qualified, and they buggered off. They 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 abandoned the city. Look, everything he did. You know, this, this is the whole. That's the whole reason for to be armed in the U.S. is so you can mm. stand up as a as a as a regulated militia. Even so, Tim. Even so, Tim. We've got a fight on our hands. My point. My simply point is, I don't think he should be sent to jail for being an idiot. I don't think he should be convicted for being an idiot. But I think it's a lack of judgment on a grand scale. That's all. He was a teenager, for goodness' sake. So, Simon, come on, be reasonable. I mean, I, I, you, would you, would you like to be placed in court in a case that's broadcast across the country from coast to coast and followed by every media lap for one of your, you know, what did you say? You know, misjudgments as a seventeen-year-old. You know, I mean, uh, uh, there's a bit of proportion to this case. Yeah, I'd, I'd also make the point. I'd also make the point that this kid went there in a protective mode and only fired on people when he was attacked. All the other people who who came to Kenosha that night were there to set fire to it. I think we've got to more, look more at the look at the aggressors rather than the, rather than the Rittenhouse. Well, that's us uh, put the U.S. justice system to rights, and we'll be back. It wasn't that uh, difficult, really. <laughs> we'll be back to deal with the Israeli-Palestinian standoff later, and but uh, <laughs> before that, uh, Rebecca uh, Rebecca Weiser, columnist with the Spectator, will be joining us to talk about. Uh, some of the coronavirus news you might not have read in your local MSN outlet, MSM, mainstream media. Uh, familiar name, that Rebecca Weiss. I wonder if it's uh, any relation to the Rebecca Weiss or I know. Let's find out after the break. Well, I've been looking forward to interviewing... Today's guest for quite some time, Rebecca Weiser, columnist with The Spectator. For a, for a long time, I thought it was quite unusual to have a Spectator columnist with the same name as my wife, particularly as it's a very... What very, are the odds, man? What are the odds? Well, it's incredible. It's, a, it's not a usual surname, is it? W-E-I-S-S-E-R. I mean, you'd think. But anyway, you know, that, that's the wonderful thing about this podcast. Uh, we line up the interview and today I discover it's one and the same person. What about that? Rebecca, welcome to The Six Lots Well. Uh, well, look, uh, Nick, it's wonderful to be here. I'm uh, desolate that my cover has been blown. All these years I've been sneaking off to these fabulous spectator lunches. And indeed, that's how I met Simon Collins. And it was my um, little secret, but secret no more. So now you have to go back to just one paycheck. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm relieved to be honest, chaps, because I, I, you know, she was on the phone the whole time, and then I'd see afterwards it was Rowan Dean. I thought, what the hell's going on here? We, I don't know why we didn't think about this before, but we were thinking about who could talk about what's really going on with the COVID vaccine and all the rest. And uh, of course, there's nobody that's been writing more frequently or more authoritatively than you on it. Well, I feel as if somehow it's just a happy coincidence. Normally, I'm sure you'd be turning to the Trusted News Initiative. I mean, who would you trust more than a group called the Trusted News Initiative to tell you all about vaccines? I mean, the wonderful people at the BBC who've been so wonderfully reliable on all sorts of other scientific matters like climate change. And, and so, of course, they'd be your natural go-to people. But I think I guess that they were unavailable, and so you've been left with me. <laughs> well, that's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? We'll pick up on that later. One, one question, uh, Tim and Simon, then I'll throw to you guys, uh, and it relates to this week's column in The Spectator. If, if, I'd highly recommend you read it because Rebecca highlights... Uh, I find very alarming. There's lots alarming about Victoria at the moment. We're in Victoria. There's a lot very alarming about the way Dan Andrews is running the state and his emergency powers. But, Rebecca, you recount the story of a doctor who's been raided without a court warrant. They walk in and raid him and walk off with confidential patient files, doctor-patient files. How, how do they get away with that? Tell us the story. Well, uh, as it turns out, the pandemic powers that Pandemic Dan, I call him Pandan, has given himself means that the uh, Victorian Health Department can actually seize any files, and according to the authorised officers who turned up, seven of them, uh, at the uh, surgery of Dr Mark Hobart, there is no such thing as patient confidentiality. 
and uh, proved the point. They took the files uh, and uh, he went to court to try and ensure that the files weren't sh shared with third parties. Uh, and unfortunately, he, he uh, was not able to stop that. I think he's now planning his next move. But uh, this is Victoria. And, you know, I, I must admit, I feel a little nervous. It could be, who knows, a knock at the door and seven authorised officers could turn up here. So, uh, uh, well, by a happy coincidence, I have to be staying in the same hotel as our interviewee today. So that solves that one. Tim, you got a question? Yeah, a lot of people are still, I think, Rebecca, confused about the nature of the vaccines that that we're uh, all taking. If you could just give us your vaccine expert analysis of the difference between, say, your traditional vaccines, which are, you know, derived from whatever disease they're trying to fix, and uh, and the vaccines that we're taking, because they're a very different, um, different kettle of uh, vax, aren't they? Well, it, it, it's sort of one of those things that's incredibly exciting. Uh, you know, uh, when I wrote a a piece first off looking at this whole issue. I called it COVID's warped vaccines because they were developed at warp speed. But it's a little bit like, to my mind, being invited to go on Apollo 1. <laughs> and we all know what happened to Apollo 1. It never actually got off the ground. And even Apollo 11, for my mind, is just a little mm. bit too action man, you know. Maybe with Elon Musk, I'd be starting to feel a, a little more comfortable. But it is, Tim, to answer your question, brand new technology. And although it's actually been around for a couple of decades, it's never actually been approved to, to do anything before. And what it does is send information right into your cells, all wrapped up in nice slippery liquid nanoparticles, and then it uses RNA to instruct your cells to create a spike protein, no less, and then your cells obediently do so, produce the spike protein, and your body is meant to take one look at that and go, eek, spike protein, that's horrible, and kill it and develop all the antibodies so that you will be able to fight it if you should ever see it again. So it sort of sounds great. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, and uh, I guess for those people who've been a little bit hesitant about taking it, they're sort of, well, can I just wait to see the safety data? Because actually the experiment isn't meant to be over and the safety data in for two years. And uh, unfortunately, none of us have been given that option at the moment. We all just have to roll up our sleeves and take it and uh, see what happens so it's a lack of transparency really is why it's used no we're not we're not i mean we're not saying that uh, i mean it's not clear not clear to you that that these are not i mean that the, the what we just don't know what the risks are is what you're saying is that right well uh, it, it's not particularly me uh, uh, i think that uh, a number of people who who don't want to take it have pointed out that we don't even have the short-term safety data let alone the long-term safety data. And there's a fabulous, um, a number of the most eminent doctors, academics, scientists in the United States have now launched a, an FOI to get the safety data which was used uh, as the basis to approve the Pfizer vaccine and uh, from the FDA. And the FDA has come back and said, yes, we're very happy to provide it for you in... Um, 2076. <laughs> That's handy. That's right. In 2076, I hope to be celebrating my 115th um, uh, birthday. <laughs> I think the trouble is by 2076, they can probably say that probably almost all of the participants in the in the study died, which wouldn't be great. <laughs> Simon. One of my questions would be a, a subheading to what Tim said was that um, I'm, uh, you know, in the, obviously you're, you, we, we regard you as having a kind of an oracular understanding of, of this whole vaccine issue. But I've heard that the phrase I heard um, a lot, usually from people who are suspicious of or reluctant to get the jab uh, early in the piece was that they would say, this is not a, vac a vaccine, it's a, 
uh, it's an experimental gene therapy, which I, I thought an experimental gene therapy, I thought that's another word for stretch denim. But, um, but apparently <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 according to them, it doesn't meet the, the, the definition, the medical definition of what a vaccine is. Is that true? I guess let's look at the first half of that statement, experimental. It's definitely an experiment that hasn't been completed. The completion date for this experiment is sometime toward the end of 2022, and then it should be rent, written up and provided in 2023. So that is the official experiment is meant to take two years to run and then to be written up. But in addition, because myocarditis and pericarditis have now been identified as uh, side effects of uh, the Pfizer vaccine, that also has to be investigated. Why is it happening? Written up uh, so that we know whether it's really safe or not. And that experiment doesn't finish until 2025. So there's no doubt that it's experimental. Um, and the, there's no doubt that the approval at the moment in Australia is provisional. It's provisional in the United States uh, for all of them, except uh, I think even for Pfizer on the ones that's currently being used was done under emergency use authorization. And all that means is that the normal rules don't apply because we're in a pandemic and, uh, you know, it's such a scary, terrible virus that we just have to suspend all our normal procedures and all our safety requirements because the risk-benefit analysis means that it's safer to be injected with this vaccine than it is to face the dreaded coronavirus. Rebecca, um, for any sort of experiment like this, you need a control sample, don't you? Oh, well, we did have a control sample and... The unvaxxed? <laughs> well, no. In the actual experiment, for example, with Pfizer, there was a placebo group and then there was the intervention group. And then it was all such a marvellous success that after about three months, which is just about the time that the vaccine started to wane to sort of very low effort, it started its sort of plummet to, to being ineffective, um, they offered the opportunity to all the people who'd been in the placebo group to uh, be vaccinated. So we don't actually have a placebo group for the experiment anymore. Well, in, in the long term, uh, you know, you, you're talking about we'll know the first stages of this experiment somewhere near the end of 2022. You're going to need a substantial control group there, and that's when that's where the unvaxxed become scientific saints. Uh, if there are any left... That's right. We've got to keep them. They're, they're scientifically so keep them required. That's right. Yeah. That does come on, I think, to the, the point. I mean, look, there, there are plenty of people um, uh, who will say, look, I, I'm quite happy to be fully vaxxed. You know, it's, it, it's by consent, right? It's by informed consent. Some people uh, are informed and they consent. But hmm. there are many of those people who will still say, well, Everybody should make their own choice. In fact, we did some polling this week. I think the figure was 45% of Australians say, look, everybody should just make their own decision over this, whether it's the same decision as me or not. That's Australians, right? Live and let live. Uh, and that's, yeah. I suppose, is the position I'm at. You know, let everybody gather the information they need, talk to their family, doctor, whatever, and, and make their decision. But we shouldn't be going around, number one, demonising people who make a different choice than well, ourselves, much worse, sacking them from their jobs. It's just, to me, this is, a, this is where I really, well, really, they, they lose I me think, on this one. I think, yeah. I, think, I think there's a really interesting point here. Lots of times in the discussion over the last, you know, often from people who are, I guess, alarmist or want to give it some kind of historical perspective, COVID has often been put in the, in the context, you know, people have said, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the worst pandemic since the Spanish flu. Now, as we all know, the Spanish flu killed, did kill millions of people, but it killed them indiscriminately, irrespective of age, comorbidities, social groupings, whatever. It, it was an indiscriminate killer on an enormous scale. Medical. How high do you think would the mortality rate of COVID need to be before people accepted, everybody accepted, and maybe even yourself and so on, accepted the vaccination should be compulsory. 
Well, uh, me personally, I don't believe in... Uh, I believe that uh, people should have sovereignty over their body. <laughs> and uh, I think that the whole uh, point uh, at which you know, um, uh, a community has the right to uh, uh, express concern is when someone is infectious. Now, just because you're not vaccinated doesn't mean that you are infectious. And in the what's come out of the UK, which is quite stunning, uh, is that the infection rates are much, much higher now in vaccinated people than they are in unvaccinated people. That was also the case uh, in Israel, and that's why... Um, the vaccine companies are now saying you have to have a booster. And all those people who thought they were fully vaccinated are soon going to discover that they're not, that unless they have the booster, they will be considered unvaccinated. And that will be true also for the vaccine passes and so forth. So from that point of view, I mean, even Bill Gates has said that these vaccines are uh, don't work in terms of stopping transmission. And that was pretty extraordinary. You're normally banned from YouTube if you say that, but for some reason mm. they didn't ban Bill Gates saying it. And he said, we need some new I vaccines. Yeah, I actually think we could maybe do with some old vaccines. And one of the stories I wrote about, and people think that because I simply highlight some of the problems with the vaccines, that automatically makes you anti-vax. Well, I done some writing about Professor Petrovsky, who's developed an Australian vaccine, which is a traditional vaccine. It's a platform that's been used since the 1980s. It uses a, a protein. They create the protein. It seems to be a lot safer. And for some reason, there's absolutely no interest in it, even though it's a, a great Australian invention. It's been approved overseas. It's getting a lot of attention overseas. And and here, zero. So there's something a bit funny going on there, a bit fishy. How do you see the practical complexities of things unfolding, Rebecca, with the need for boost shots? Because you'll get, you'll get people sort of stuck halfway. They might be travelling or something, all fully vaxxed, all legal and above board, and then uh, they get timed out. Exactly. And they need a booster shot. It's going to make things complicated. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, I think you really, uh, the Prime Minister I saw got, a, I think, his booster shot today. Um, and uh, it's all going to get very messy. And I think there were a lot of people, that polling that Nick mentioned, showed that uh, quite a lot of people, 41% actually, felt um, uh, that they were pressured into getting this. And 60% and, and of those people said they felt pressured by the government. So it's a funny state of affairs when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you have to force people to protect themselves. It does raise questions about just how effective and or, and or safe they think it really is. And if they felt like that about the first two, I know there are a lot of people that I've certainly heard say, that's it, I've done two, I'm not doing three. Um, so that'll be, it, it, I think, from that point of view, of course, if you don't have the third, all of a sudden you'll be part of the, the dreaded unvaxxed and, and you'll be an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard vaccine sceptics compare it to um, having a pilot's licence, you know, in the sense that, you know, it's all, you can have a pilot's licence, but after, a, if, you, if you go X number of months or years without flying, then you have to then requalify and, but I think that that's not... Yeah, you've got to keep your I think, I think there's, yeah. a there's a better analogy, actually, because most people can't identify or relate to the idea of being a pilot. It's like brownie points with your partner. They only last a certain amount of time. This is new to me. Like, I haven't heard this. This is weird, you know. Uh, and yet, you know, they'll know if they read your columns in the spectator that you've done your homework there's lots of research goes into it and if they do the research further they'll know that you you know you've a, you're a uh, opinion editor at the australian for many years you're used to checking facts you're used to separating the rubbish from the the genuine uh, stuff that comes across your but that's why she always knocked back my column yeah that's right tim um <laughs> she was ruthless mine too she by was the way brutal. i mean don't yeah. feel you were singled out but <laughs> What I'm trying to make is so what's gone wrong? I mean, why 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 is it only in a few outlets like the Spectator and the Six O'clock Swill that we're t talking about this? Uh, you know, why is it, why is it not front page news? Why is it not leading the Channel Nine news bulletin every night, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? 
Well, uh, it's it's quite a, it, I mean, it's been great for me. It gives me a huge amount of material to write about each week. But uh, it is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, my impression is that, you know, it's, I, I liken it to uh, fighting a war and uh, you are uh, getting censorship. I mean, during the Second World War, Arthur Caldwell, of all people, was the Minister for Information, and that meant he told you or told the newspapers all the things they weren't allowed to publish. So when Darwin was bombed, eventually they were allowed to say Darwin had been bombed by the Japanese, but they were only allowed to say that 17 people had died, not, you know, close to 250. And when the HMS Sydney was sunk, they, they tried to cover that up. I mean, there were just so many people abroad that the, the rumours and the speculation was, was so damaging that in the end they, they, they realised that they would have to tell the loved ones that, that, they, uh, that they had lost, uh, you know, their husbands and sons and so forth. Um, and, and they couldn't cover that up. It was just too big. But the whole of the war was fought like that. And if that's the case, if that's what's going on, we're fighting a war with coronavirus. I mean, in the Second World War, they didn't want the Japs to know. I mean, good heavens, I reckon the Japs did know that they'd bombed Darwin, but no, apparently we weren't mm. allowed to give them this sort of, you know, knowledge. And, of course, we didn't want to demoralise people at home and so forth. But... Is the idea that the coronavirus is watching the ABC? <laughs> the, enemy. Uh, the enemy is the virus. The coronavirus is hosting the ABC in a lot of cases. <laughs> well, sometimes I feel like if coronavirus were to come up and announce, you know, what, what the restrictions were for the day, I'd feel safer than seeing Dan Andrews or Brett Sutton. I, I do. I reckon a couple, <laughs> at least a couple of, you know, percent if not more of those viewers of the Q&A would be coronavirus wouldn't they they'd be coronavirus yeah well they they count you know not they're not a full what rating point but you've got to give them some credit for tuning in <laughs> do you do you think um, Rebecca do you think that um uh, Dan Andrews I, I won't call it a vault fast but Dan Andrews sudden apparent uh, relaxation is kind of about turn on lots of uh, restrictions do you think that it's because he's been reassured about COVID or do you think it's because he knows that if the MCG wasn't full, wasn't allowed to fill up, he would lose the next election? Well, I think it's got, well, got a lot to do with a fellow called Adam Somurek, you know, who's just about to vote down Dan's pandemic bill to give him these pandemic powers in perpetuity. And it's such a delicious... I, what I love about the news lately is every day you wake up and think, what is the most absurd and impossible thing that could happen? And the fact that, you know, someone who's been dragged before IBAC and, you know, has been, it could suddenly, a Labour person accused of who knows what, could suddenly turn out to be the saviour <laughs> of the state. It's just too wonderful. Yeah, but I mean, the point here is, I mean, we, we've been, he's been telling us all along, Dan, that he's got the best medical expert on board, you know, his chief health officer. And, uh, uh, and, and suddenly he's making, well, decisions that are just transparently political. I mean, he's not even pretending, not even pretending that there's any medical advice to this whatsoever. It, how, can pe how long can people have confidence in this? How long will people go on believing it? Well, I think one of the most uh, hilarious things that we've been told by Dan that every decision that he took was based on that, was all based on the medical advice. So the journalists have said, we want to see the medical advice. Oh, no, you couldn't possibly see that. So there no, you go. Don't. It's like Pfizer. It's all safe and effective. We'll show you in 50 years. <laughs> it's fascinating to read coverage this week, the last 48 hours, um, of uh, Victoria's returning to normal. Perfectly normal, says Dan. It's going to be the most normal Victoria you've ever normaled in. <laughs> and, but it's not. For a start, if you're an unvaccinated 13-year-old out shopping with your vaccinated mother and she goes into a shop, that 13-year-old can't go in there, can he or she? Because, um, you know, it's only under 12s. Uh, if you're below, sorry, 12 and two months, they're very specific about it. If you're older than that and you're not vaccinated, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, they present 
They have no danger presented to them at all by the by the coronavirus, barely any. Yet uh, they're not allowed to go into shops accompanied by their parents. Well, Tim, the crazy thing is that it's not just like that in Victoria. I mean, in New South Wales, we're supposedly yeah. living with COVID, but what we're actually living with is vaccine passports and, you know, masks and this and that, all sorts of things. And the crazy thing is, like... The whole point of a vaccine is that you're meant to feel safe and protected. So why mm. are all the vaccinated people so frightened of the unvaccinated people? You know, it, it... Well, they're vaccinated, so they're not frightened of the virus, but they're scared of the unvaccinated people who might carry the virus. Hey, I, I think, think I, I just worked out the problem there. I think, I think, I think Rebecca, you can correct me on this, but I think statistically or arithmetically, isn't it true to say that now you could say that um, you're more likely to be to contract COVID from somebody who's been vaccinated than from somebody who's not been vaccinated? I think you said that earlier. That's on account of our heavy viral loads. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think it's just, I mean, the, the, the real thing is in the UK that if you, um, uh, the vaccinated people are getting infected at a much uh, more rapid, everybody over 30, I should say. So under 30, the vaxxers are still working. Now, is that just because they were the last to get vaccinated and in due course, or is it because they're young and fit and their their immunity is stronger? Don't know yet. But everybody over 30 in the UK, the vaccinated are getting infected at a much faster rate. Now, if you really want to be frightened, go to have a look at a study that they did in Sweden um, and, uh, you know, you be Ooh, afraid, S-word. be very afraid because that study showed uh, if it's all, you know, all these studies, of course, you know, have to be peer-reviewed and checked it and cross-checked, but it showed the good old spike protein going into your nucleus, the nucleus of your cell. That's where your DNA is and stopping your uh, two key um, uh, uh, immune proteins from actually working. So it was reducing your immune system. I don't think it necessarily shows that it does that for everybody. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> it seems to particularly do that in people who get very sick and die. So, But, you know, there's scary stuff going on. It is an experiment. We, we're all part of it. We're the lab rats. So... <laughs> I am enjoying um, some of the stories about uh, COVID passports and uh, the various um, various incidents surrounding them. A friend of mine uh, caught up with a mate of his the other day. They were going out to a restaurant and my friend suddenly realised he'd left his phone behind that had his COVID passport on it. Oh, my God, what an awful thing. But his other friend, his friend said, no, 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 no. I've got my elderly father's phone here. I always carry it around with him. We were out you know, this morning. He's got, he's got dementia, so I always make sure I've got his phone. It's got his COVID passport on it, and I'll, um, you, know, you can use that phone. So they're like, fine. And my friend, he's in his early 60s. He's got this phone with a, a bogus, you know, it's not bogus, it's genuine, but it's just not his passport. They go to the restaurant. There's like a 20-something girl on the counter. She asks to see the passport takes a good look at it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it all seems to check out. And then uh, my friend sort of, you know, they go to their table, and my friend looks for the first time in detail at this uh, passport, this vaccine passport he's just used. And apparently he was born in 1932. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he's looking pretty good for that age, you know. That's that's impressive. So there you go. Well, it's obviously... But how insulting. He, he, he felt insulted, of course. <laughs> Because the girl, you know, looked at the birth date on the thing, looked at him and went, yep, you're about right for, you know, someone of that vintage. Here's your, uh, here's your phone back, old old fella. Take a seat. Well, isn't it a good thing that those young folk haven't learned how to do addition, a certain mental arithmetic? <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, I, I know you've got, other, you've got another media commitment uh, straight away, so we won't keep you for much longer. But, look, um, thank you for keeping on top of this issue and i really do think uh, there'll be people who listen to this they won't agree uh, but uh, that's the point isn't it we should just be able to have open discussion and i I, i'm so frustrated by the fact we don't seem to be able to talk about it on anything other than podcasts like this 
Yeah, well, I, I must say I, I desperately hope that all of these kind of rather scary things that I've read about are wrong. Um, I'd be the happiest person in the world. But I, I, I think the whole point of scientists doing research is to try and work out what is happening. And, 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 and it's better to know, isn't it? I think so. Well, Rebecca, thank you very much for joining us. Amen to that. Yes, thank you, Beth. Thank you, Rebecca. Joe Biden's poll numbers, as Ari mentioned, are tanking, and his vice president's numbers are not that much better. Many Americans see Kamala Harris as pretty phony, incompetent, not particularly bright, effective. Well, Rebecca Weiser, she's certainly into that topic, I tell you. She knows her bugs. She does, she does, she does. I think she should have been a doctor just in passing. But anyway, um, Tim, um, I don't think we can get away from the US quite yet, can we? I mean, it's just Mm. incredible what's happening over there. The theory that most of us on the right had, Simon and Nick, was that Kamala Harris, the vice president, would just lay in wait until Joe Biden fell down some stairs or... His brain finally dissolved, and then she would step up. And it seemed seemed reasonable to come to that calculation. But it hasn't happened so far. Yes, he has fallen downstairs. Yes, his brain is plainly molten. Yeah. But now, Joe is moving against Harris. The word is he's trying to kick her out because she's the problem. Remember, she's way down in the 20s in, in terms of popularity. Mm-hmm. And Biden's still riding high in the mid-30s. So he, she's now perceived by some to be, you know, the, the anchor, you know, just slowing poor old uh, Joe down. She's a very, very useless vice president. Yeah, exactly. It's a very unusual thing for, um, for a president to kick out his, his vice president in the US, but uh, she's such a... Especially when he'd hand he'd hand picked her, he'd looked at all her brilliant qualities and decided yeah, yeah. that she was black or certainly not white, and uh, and and a woman, and uh, that apparently qualified her, and not quite worked out that way, has it? No, she's a disaster, and she's never actually worked in an executive role before. She's already, you know, she's been in legislative sort of roles where she's had collaborative kind of responsibilities. Yeah. But yeah. when she's been told, you know, your job is to look after the fence, look after the border. Um, she's run a million miles from that. Her people are now talking to media outlets about how she feels that she's been sort of set up and that it's uh, she's been given all the unpopular jobs. There's also juicy, juicy rumours about who might be behind uh, the push to oust her. One theory is that Michelle Obama wants to be the first woman of colour to be a US president. And the other theory is that Jill Biden, Joe's wife, yeah. has never forgiven... Kamala Harris for calling Joe a racist during the primaries before the election. Is that right? Is that right? Uh, It's a catfight. Oh, yeah, it's a catfight. Watch this space. Simon, uh, you were going to talk about China. Look, I I think it's very almost almost impossible these days for for an intelligent, informed podcast to occur without at least mentioning China. Or at least being, um, being overheard by China or monitored by China. I just want to talk about very quickly about the the evolution from from Chinese whispers to Chinese crockers. Now, Chinese whispers was originally a, a parlor game that that was uh, uh, players distort a message by passing it around in a whisper. But today, um, what's happened now is that instead of just spreading rumors that are slightly misleading, it's it's that the Chinese government has made a, made a, a speciality of of sending messages which are transparently an absolute crock. You know, we've had a whole year. We've had a couple of years of it. Started off with Chinese officials sending out images of uh, Australian soldiers apparently committing yeah. awful crimes with Afghan children. Then we had uh, Chinese officials denying the presence of bats in the laboratory in Wuhan, where it turned out that in fact there were there were more bats there than the average branch of McSimmons. Yeah, bat woman. Yeah, it was run by bats. Fright bats. It was full of fright bats, Tim. <laughs> the latest one is this one about this very unfortunate, uh, fantastic Chinese tennis player, Peng Shui, who's disappeared mysteriously. And, and a few days before she disappeared, she sent out this WeChat post saying, 
that she'd been uh, sexually assaulted by a very high-ranking Chinese official. And then now, of course, after a couple of weeks, absolute silence, mysterious silence, we get a message uh, supposedly or purportedly from her on the same Chinese government-controlled platform, which says, hey, mm. no, don't worry, I'm okay. Not only am I okay and I'm having a nice, relaxing time, but whatever I said in that previous one is no, lo- is no longer true. Uh, it's not, sorry, it was never true. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And, and don't worry about me, I'm fine. Uh, Simon, um, what's her name again? Sorry, but she, I think she's called Peng Shui. Well, at least her energy flows going the right way. How is your Chinese, how is your Mandarin pronunciation, Simon? You know mm. there's four different tones. But here's the, but here's the, one of the, here's the big point, guys. That's, that's a horrible story. I hope it's, I hope the girl, I really hope the girl is fine. We all do. Uh, but it, it does seem to be symptomatic of this disinformation. Now, if you want absolute proof that what the Chinese government says cannot be taken at face values, all you have to do is look at their so-called commitment to the uh, net zero things out of Glasgow. Apart from the fact that they still they, they refuse to stop building coal-fired power stations, if China really believed that global warming was a major problem for the world, would they really be spending billions of dollars and lots of manpower and time building landing strips on, on basically sandbanks and coral atolls which will which if if, if 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 i wonder if they've got other intentions you don't think they're involved in some sort of aggressive forward action do you well, look uh, guys uh, uh, I, i'm perfectly awake i i could listen to you for ages without going to sleep simon but my mac tells me it will soon go to sleep unless it's plugged into a powerpoint and there is none in this toyota corolla <laughs> that I borrowed from Hertz. Give us your delivery very quickly and they will sign right, off. Okay, well, as you can imagine... you got five seconds before the Mac dies. All right, there was no, there was no limerick last week because um, I couldn't think of a rhyme for Canavan, for Mac Canavan. <laughs> but this time I thought... We'd, so this time I thought I'd do a really heartfelt one about somebody who's made the news again and I'm sure we all feel sorry for. Um, and I'll just call it Ode to Megan, okay? She's racked up more miles than Magellan. Confided in Oprah, now Ellen. She's no lady-in-waiting. It's all about rating. I'm a duchess for hire. What you selling? <laughs> Tim, final words. Final words. Uh, well, I hope by the time that people are hearing this that um, Kyle Rittenhouse is a free man. And uh, I'd also hope, uh, and this might be a, a less, a less uh, the odds on this might be slightly longer, that uh, certain cities in the US aren't on fire again. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. I also hope, Nick, that you escape and you actually get out of Victoria. So, you know. I better hunker down and get out of here quick before the Victorian police wrestle me to the ground and press my nose on the concrete. So, look, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, another great uh, discussion. Thank you, everybody, listening. And you can email us at, at uh, nick at b- radiobwc.com. Tell all your friends five stars on Apple Podcasts and we'll talk to you again next week for another six o'clock twill. Cheers, everybody. One, two, three, four, get my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive. Six, seven, eight, feeling great. Nine, gonna shine, life is good. I'm doing fine, ten, gonna do it right and do it again, yeah. I look into the sky with all the beautiful color, but there's more than just for me, so gonna share it with another. I got two show to give, let out, I want to sing and shout. Take a look and see a beautiful morning that turns into a beautiful and together make a beautiful life And if you want to see Then come along with me That's right And if you want a good tomorrow It's pretty simple Got a final like to follow And if you do You have a future real bright And it's a combination Of consistency Come on and say Consistency, come on and sing.